The massive sell-off in bonds in the United States continues with talk that the Fed will pursue an even steeper path for rate increases. Even steeper than everyone had convinced themselves of last week. There's absolutely no sign to an early finish to the war in the Ukraine. And in Europe, a massive fall in one key indicator of the German business climate. Falls in sentiment in the United States too. Uh, But in both cases, investors continue to buy up shares. But who is buying them exactly? Uh, We'll look at that today. And China, Shanghai in lockdown whilst they test everyone, all 26 million of them. Meanwhile, they've got to stay in, which means they're not making stuff. It's Monday, the 28th of March, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Right, stocks in the US continued to rise at the end of last week, except for the Nasdaq, which lost 0.2% on Friday, but it's still 2% up over the week. The S&P 500 was up half percent on Friday, 1.8% over the week, whereas in Europe, the DAX was up a quarter percent on the last day of the week, but down 0.7% over the week. Still holding up pretty well, though, considering what's going on there. Uh, the standout on Friday was the Hang Seng. Uh, well, not stand up in a good way. It lost 2.5%, which evened out the week. So no, no losses or gains from uh, from Monday to Friday, but we'll have a look at what's going on there. Meanwhile, bond yields continue to rise. 10 basis points added to 10-year treasuries, closing at 2.48%, the highest in three years. Two years, we're up 13 basis points at 2.28%, so less than 20 basis points between them now. Uh, yields moving up, up in Europe as well, but not to the same extent. So what is going on in the United States? We'll look at that today. And on currencies, the US dollar still edging upwards, but no big currency movements on Friday, except for the yen losing even more value. The US dollar now buys 122 yen. It's lost 7% of its value this month, the weakest it's been since 2015. So we'll have to look at that as well. Finally, oil. Yes, it was high on Friday, gaining another 1.4% for both WTI and Brent. Brent now back over $120. It climbed almost 12% last week. A uh, lot to talk about this morning. Tapper Strickland is with me from NAB in Sydney. So strange times, isn't it? Obviously, a lot of risk around, but bonds are being ditched and shares are being bought. As we said on Friday, what could could possibly go wrong with that? And yet, meanwhile, on Friday in the US, sentiment falling in the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Research. Hardly surprising uh, with what's going on in the world, but it's still not stopping people buying shares. Uh, good morning, Phil. Yes, uh, tumultuous time in terms of bond markets on Friday and that much in yields continuing to drive. And the biggest factor behind that was uh, a number of US uh, banks doing one-upmanship in terms of Fed rate hike calls. And uh, it was City calling uh, for the US Fed to hike 50 basis points at the next four meetings, so May, June, July, and September. That really uh, led to that sell-off in the bond market. And uh, just worth noting that City is now calling a final Fed funds rate of uh, 3.75% in 2023. So um, that did see uh, Fed funds pricing lifting quite sharply uh, for the US as well. And when you look at Fed funds pricing now, uh, they're pricing in, I think it is 8.2 rate hikes now for the remaining six Fed meetings in 2022. Uh, and that's from 7.7 hikes on Thursday. And when you look at uh, market pricing for May and June, um, consecutive 50 basis point moves are now around 87% price. So a lot now being priced in for the Fed and a lot of that on the back of uh, more US banks reacting to a lot of the Fed rhetoric that we have seen there. But what is interesting is when you look at the uh when you look at the OIS curve, when you look at euro dollars, um, they all seem to be agreeing to June, uh, September 2023 as some agreed mark in where the tightening cycle starts to end and then the Fed starts to flip in terms of um, a possible easing cycle. And the uncertainty there is is whether that reflects a mid-cycle slowing um, and a return back to neutral 
or whether it reflects something more nefarious. And then you get more talk about recession risk in the US. And those factors <laughs> so that it's you're good news, about. It's either good news or bad news. Uh, exactly. Some, some, something is going to happen in the middle of next year. So two questions then on, on, on what's happening with this big bond sell-off. So because uh, uh, we asked, you know, we were talking about it on Friday, you know, why this big rise in share prices at the same time? And uh, David Gaius was there saying, well, you know, maybe it's because nobody's got anywhere to put their money. So is, is that how you see it? And then the other question is, just with this expectation of perhaps four fifty basis point rises this year, I mean, that seems dangerously fast given the circumstances. I mean, isn't there a real danger that this is just going too far too quickly? Oh, yeah, definitely. And there's uh, three pretty detailed questions there or worth uh, giving some detail to. Um, so I think the first one is, and we've been talking about this for the past three weeks, is um, some indications by Russia of of possible de-escalation in the future in terms of Ukraine. And mm. I know we haven't had anything concrete here, but Moscow did say on Friday it was nearing the end of its first phase of its military operations in Ukraine. And one spokesman said uh, they were reorientating their resources towards a full liberation of Donbass. So mm. uh, pushing, uh, pulling back a little bit uh, from the uh, rhetoric earlier on in, in, in the campaign. And it's just worth noting in-person talks uh, will start to occur between Ukraine and Russia again. And importantly, we've been talking about how there was no real roadmap in terms of easing sanctions on Russia and what incentive Russia does have um, to uh, de-escalate. And you got some first tentative roadmap of easing sanctions uh, by Liz Truss, who's a British foreign minister on Saturday. And she said if Russia withdraws from Ukraine, um, then uh, they could start to ease up on those sanctions. And I think that's the first real comment there that... uh, Mm the West would be prepared to ease up on the sanctions if Russia were to withdraw from Ukraine. And that's those sanctions could more be hopeful than Joe Biden quickly. saying, which he said over the weekend, that, uh, you know, that, uh, that he wants regime change in Russia. Oh, definitely. To, definitely. Although, that. although even that seemed to be a bit of a slip of the tongue. And yeah. there's a pretty sharp um, winding back of the rhetoric um, mm. after he, he spoke there. Um, I, I can see why, you, you know, you're trying to put a positive spin on this. But, you know, when Russia says, uh, oh, yes, look, you know, we're, 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 we'll be satisfied if we just get the Eastern Territories. Um, you know, I mean, can you believe anything that's coming out of their mouth? That's uh, that's the question. I mean, we can we can't attach too much optimism, I suspect. Oh yes, yes, definitely. No, I think markets will be always predisposed to an optimistic outcome in terms of geo- geopolitical events. But I, yeah. I think the kind of mood music that we have been seeing over the past month, um, nothing has really come in the way to disrupt that more. Um, at least optimistic tones there. Um, the second factor with with equities is. Um, it looks like, according to some of the more d- detailed data, particularly prime broking data, that um, leveraged investors did indeed reduce a lot of their exposure to the speculative uh, tech side um, going back a couple of weeks ago. So you may have actually been seeing a bit of short covering really over the past uh, week and a half um, that may have bled through to the rest of the market. And then the second one is it looks like in terms of flows data, it's really the retail investors that have been driving the recent rise in equities and not really from institutional or hedge fund investors. So if you think um, institutional and hedge fund investors have the smart money, um, then perhaps um, there's a little bit uh, less positivity around uh, the rally in equity markets. And it's banks they're putting it into as well, isn't it? That seems to be the the direction for a lot last week. So, and this is all on the back of, uh, you know, consumer sentiment really tanking in in, in Europe and in the United States. Oh, indeed. And uh, there are a number of indicators that suggest the consumer and the housing market is reacting to, to higher rates here. And uh, as you noted, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index fell to 59.4, and it's its lowest level since August 2011. Mm. And uh, 
It was interesting when um, you looked at um, some of the details within that survey. It looks like uh, the inflation related erosion of their living standards is really impacting on, on, on the consumer and actually is at the most uh, depressive since uh, March 1979 and April 1981. Um, and you know what happened during those periods is they were quickly followed by by, by a downturn. So um, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment still is flashing an amber signal um, and is one of the weakest signals out there for the US economy at, at the moment. And the other one in terms of hard, uh, hard data is pending home sales and they fell 4.1% month on month, uh, well below the Consensus of plus one percent, and worth noting, it's its fourth straight month of declines there. Right. So cl- yeah. clearly, the they high do, rates they do move. They do move out about a bit, don't they? But four weeks, yeah. four months in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. and it's basically higher rates are definitely having an impact. And when you look at the thirty-year mm. fixed lending rate in the US, it's now increased by one hundred and thirty-two basis points yeah. since the beginning of the year. Um, Hardly so, surprising. I think you draw it there. Yeah. yeah. So Gem- so Gemini FO uh, that plummeted as well in March. So uh, the uh, and yet we saw share price. Prices going up in Europe as well. The uh, the DAX was up, but part of that was because of this deal, wasn't it? It was announced on Friday that uh, uh, that uh, the US is going to supply a lot of uh, uh, liquid uh, natural gas to, uh, to to Europe. They're going to ship it in rather than pipe it in from Russia. Uh, yes, and uh, it's unclear exactly how quickly that gas gas can flow, but it all goes towards uh, more energy independence from mm. Russia going into... You are saying two-thirds? They want to cut demand on Russian supplies by two-thirds this year, 15 billion cubic metres, which sounds like a quite a lot, and then to be totally weaned off it by 2027. Mm. Uh, so does that mean even if uh, Russia pulls out and uh, says, sorry, we won't do it again, are we still going to say we're not going to buy? Uh, we're not going to buy fuel from them. I mean, that's uh, what's this brave new world going to look like? Yeah, it, it is actually quite interesting, but probably alleviate some of the pressure from China and India um, mm. f- from buying Russian energy output. So it may just be a reorientation of the flows of energy rather than a wholesale, full-scale reduction of Russian um, yeah. energy exports after the possible easing of sanctions if they were to withdraw from the Ukraine. Now, the yen really took a battering, didn't it? I mean, its safe haven status has uh, put, been put on hold, hasn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, it seemingly, I mean, you know, we've been talking about the US share market. That seems like that is the new safe haven. Uh, but as you're saying, perhaps just for retail investors. But the, this this battering for the yen, it's only going to get worse for them, isn't it, as we see uh, yields going up in the United States and not going anywhere in Japan. Oh, indeed, and perhaps also impacting on the um, the revisionist in terms of the safe haven kind of aspect of the Japanese yen is just those higher energy prices because after all mm. Japan mm. is of quite a large energy importer there and you'd have to say that is probably one of the factors that is weighing and possibly one of the factors that has been also supporting the Aussie and other commodity currencies during this time when classically they would have been uh, caught up um, with uh, with any revisions towards global growth um, or any deterioration in risk sentiment there. Yeah, well, I wonder whether just, uh, and probably in our discussion for now, because we haven't got enough time, but places like Germany and Japan, which are so reliant on exports, if we are going to see narrower supply chains and more self, uh, self-sufficiency self coming out of the end of this period between the war and the pandemic, uh, you know, you've got a question, uh, you know, is it going to be quite as rosy for those countries? Uh, look, uh, and China, of course, as well, which brings me nicely onto the fact that uh, Shanghai, in lockdown, they've had 2,631 asymptomatic cases in Shanghai on Saturday. So they've made the decision that this city's 26 million people will be in... So 2,631 cases and 26 million people are going to be in lockdown in two stages so they can test 
everybody. So half the city in lockdown till April the 1st and the other half from April the 1st to April the 5th. So they are not giving up on zero COVID and that obviously means more supply chain difficulties in the future, doesn't it? Oh, in, indeed. And also um, more activity witness in China as uh, as well. And um, yeah. we do get some uh, Chinese PMIs later this week and they're likely to be impacted from the earlier lockdown scene in Shenzhen and Jilin as well. Yeah. There's a, a doctor in Korea, a vice president of the Korean Vaccine Society, uh, who said uh, basically, uh, if you haven't got uh, COVID yet, you haven't got any friends. I haven't got. <laughs> I haven't had it. So uh, perhaps that that's not disproving his theory. Uh, in the UK, one hundred and fourteen thousand a day, and they're just getting on with it, aren't they? Look, it's very quiet today, isn't it? It's all happening later on in the week. Of course, this is a big week for the United States because we get non-farm payrolls on Friday, and we get the inflation numbers as well. Oh uh, yeah, definitely a very big week. But you'd have to think that maybe the payrolls this week takes a bit more of a backseat. Um, after all, Chair Powell last yeah. week uh, said the. Fed's assessment of the labour market is it is extremely tight, so it's hard hard to see um, any one single payrolls print really bucking the trend on that. Um, for what it's worth, the consensus sees unemployment falling a tenth to three point seven percent, four hundred ninety thousand jobs to be created, uh, and I think the focus will be on that average hourly earnings. If you recall, in the last. Uh, month, um, average hourly earnings were actually flat. Um, and there's a lot of talk about whether that was representing a bit of statistical volatility there. And uh, the consensus this time looks for it to pick up to 0.4% month on month. Uh, the PCE numbers will be interesting, um, but I think the CPI numbers, just given they come out at least two weeks earlier than the PCE numbers, will probably still get most of the focus in terms of the inflation narrative. <clears throat> and the other one just worth noting for the US is the ISM manufacturing on Friday. And I think a lot of focus will be there in terms of whether those supply chain pressures are increasing, given uh, Russia, Ukraine, and also the earlier discussion we're having in terms of China and its recent lockdowns as well. Uh, well, today, Andrew Bailey from the Bank of England is going to be talking later on. Incidentally, over there, Rishi Sunak, the Treasurer, is coming under fire because uh, it's being said he didn't do enough in his mini budget for households, because obviously everyone is going to really struggle with the cost of living pressures over there. Uh, so that might moderate the impetus for the Bank of England, perhaps. But today we get uh, retail inventories in the United States and the advanced goods trade balance. Uh, yes, uh, that's right. So very, very quiet in Australia, very, very quiet offshore. Um, in regards to BOE Governor Bailey, um, he's talking on macroeconomic and financial stability in changing times. <clears throat> so I think that could be pretty interesting, just given they had a dovish hike uh, a, f- a few weeks back. And uh, markets there are still pretty hawkish, pricing in 5.6 for the hikes uh, for this year. And you're talking about uh, as inflation starts to bite in the UK, does it start to actually affect the activity outlook? And you did get some hint of that um, with retail sales in the UK being uh, a lot lower than expected. Yeah. And uh, the budget, of course, tomorrow in, in Australia, tomorrow night. What's that going to bring us? Oh, yeah. yes, the... Budget is going to be pretty interesting. Um, the consensus for the 2022-23 deficit stands at $77 billion, um, which if that is what they're currently projecting, uh, would be a pretty vast improvement from where they were thinking back in December, where they had penciled in $98.9 billion deficit. Um, you have to think about this budget really in terms of the election narrative. And uh, just worth noting, the next federal election in Australia has to be held by the 21st of May. And yeah. just given there's a 33-day notice period between calling and holding an election, um, the election will actually be called um, within the two Any weeks. Yeah, within the two weeks yeah. of the budget. So I think you, yeah. you'd expect heaps of election giveaways in that uh, kind of perspective. <laughs> and um, the AFR has a pretty interesting article um, just noting that they that the government is intending on cutting fuel excise for about six months. Um, not 
mentioned is the size of the excise cut. Um, but um, just worth noting, for every five cent cut to, to excise for six months, that would cost about a billion dollars to the budget bottom line. And they're also going to be announcing about $20 billion in uh, additional infrastructure investment as well. And uh, there is also that cost of living uh, one-off payment as, as well out there. Yeah, well, if you look at the UK example, I think uh, they, they cut the excise and then the companies, the oil companies just put the price up anyway uh, to compensate. <laughs> so I'm not sure that works. Anyway, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tappers. We'll catch you again soon. Uh, Thank you. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.